boy going to Norway. The summer holidays, those magic words, the mere mention of them used to send shivers of joy rippling over my skin. All my summer holidays, from when I was four years old to when I was 17, 1920 to 1932, were totally idyllic. This, I am certain, was because we always went to the same idyllic place, and that place was Norway. Except for my ancient half-sister and my not-quite-so-ancient half-brother, the rest of us were all pure Norwegian by blood. We all spoke Norwegian, and all our relations lived over there. So in a way, going to Norway every summer was like going home. Even the journey was an event. Do not forget that there were no commercial airplanes in those times. So it took us four whole days to complete the trip out and another four days to get home again. We were always an enormous party. There were my three sisters and my ancient half-sister, that's four, and my half-brother and me, that's six, and my mother, that's seven, and nanny, that's eight. And in addition to these, there were never less than two others who were some sort of anonymous ancient friends of the ancient half-sister, that's 10 altogether. Looking back on it now, I don't know how my mother did it. There were all those train bookings and boat bookings and hotel bookings to be made in advance by letter. She had to make sure that we had enough shorts and shirts and sweaters and gym shoes and bathing costumes. You couldn't even buy a shoelace on the island we were going to. And the packing must have been a nightmare. Six huge trunks were carefully packed, as well as countless suitcases. And when the great departure day arrived, the 10 of us, together with our mountains of luggage, would set out on the first and easiest step of the journey, the train to London. When we arrived in London, we tumbled into three taxis and went clattering across the great city to King's Cross, where we got on the train to New for Newcastle, 200 miles to the north. The trip to Newcastle took about five hours, and when we arrived there, we needed three more taxis to take us from the station to the docks, where our boat would be waiting. The next stop after that would be Oslo, the capital of Norway. When I was young, the capital of Norway was not called Oslo. It was called Christiana. But somewhere along the line, the Norwegians decided to do away with that pretty name and called it Oslo instead. As children, we always knew it as Christiania. But if I call it that here, we shall only get confused. So we had better stick to Oslo all the way through. The sea journey from Newcastle to Oslo took two days and a night. And if it was rough, as it often was, all of us got seasick except our dauntless mother. We used to lie in deck chairs on the promenade deck within easy reach of the rails, embalmed in rugs, our faces slate gray and our stomachs churning, refusing the hot soup and ships, biscuits, the kindly steward kept offering us. And as for poor Nanny, she began to feel sick the moment she set foot on deck. I hate these things, she used to say. I'm sure we'll never get there. Which lifeboat do we use when it starts to sink? When, then she would retire to her cabin, where she stayed groaning and trembling until the ship was firmly tied up at the quayside in Oslo Harbor the next day. We always stopped off for one night in Oslo so that we could have a grand family, grand annual family reunion with best mama and best papa, our mother's parents, and with her two maiden sisters, our aunts, who lived in the same house. When we got off the boat, we all went in a cavalcade of taxis straight to the Grand Hotel where we would sleep one night to drop off our luggage. Then keeping the same taxis, we drove on to the grandparents' house where an emotional welcome awaited us. All of us were embraced and kissed many times and tears flowed down wrinkled old cheeks and suddenly that quiet, gloomy house came alive with many children's voices. 
Ever since I first saw her, Best Mama was terrifically ancient. She was a white-haired, wrinkly-faced old bird who, always, who seemed always to be sitting in her rocking chair, rocking away and smiling benignly at this vast influx of grandchildren who barged in from miles away to take over her house for a few hours every year. Best Papa was the quiet one. He was a small, dignified scholar with a white goatee beard, and as far as I could gather, he was an astrologer, a meteorologist, and a speaker of ancient Greek. Like Best Mama, he sat most of the time quietly in a chair, saying very little and totally overwhelmed. I imagined by the raucous rabble who were destroying his neat and polished home. The two things I remember most about Best Papa were that he wore black boots and that he smoked an extraordinary pipe. The bowl of his pipe was made of the meerschaum clay, and it had a flexible stem about three feet long so that the bowl rested on his lap. All the grown-ups, including Nanny and all the children, even when the youngest was only a year old, sat down around the big old dining room table on the afternoon of our arrival for the great annual celebration feast with the grandparents, and the food we received never varied. This was a Norwegian household, and for the Norwegians, the best food in the world is fish. And when they say fish, they don't mean the sort of thing you and I get from the fishmonger. They mean fresh fish. Fish that has been caught no more than 24 hours before and has never been frozen or chilled on a block of ice. I agree with them the proper way to prepare fish like this is to poach it, and that is what they do with the finest specimens. And Norwegians, by the way, always eat the skin of the boiled fish, which they say has the best taste of all. So naturally, this great celebration feast started with fish, a mass of fish, a flounder as big as a tea tray and as thick as your arm was brought to the table. It had nearly black skin on top, which was covered with brilliant orange spots, and it had, of course, been perfectly poached. Large white hunks of this fish were carved out and put onto our plates, and with it we had hollandaise sauce and boiled new potatoes, nothing else, and by gosh, it was delicious. As soon as the remains of the fish had been cleared away, a tremendous craggy mountain of homemade ice cream would be carried in. Apart from being the creamiest ice cream in the world, the flavor was unforgettable. There were thousands of little chips of crisp burnt toffee mixed into it. The Norwegians call it kroken, and as a result, it didn't simply melt in your mouth like ordinary ice cream. You chewed it, and it went crunch, and the taste was something you dreamed about for days afterward. This great feast would be interrupted by a small speech of welcome from my grandfather, and the grown-ups would raise their long-stemmed wine glasses and say, Skull! many times throughout the meal. When the guzzling was over, those who were considered old enough were given small glasses of homemade liqueur, a colorless but fiery drink that smelled of mulberries. The glasses were raised again and again, and the scalling seemed to go on forever. In Norway, you may select any individual around the table and scall him or her in a small private ceremony. You first lift your glass high and call out the name, Best Mama. You say, Skull, Best Mama. She will then lift her own glass and hold it up high. At the same time, your own eyes meet hers, and you must keep looking deep into her eyes as you sip your drink. After you have both done this, you raise your glasses high up again in a sort of silent final salute, and only then does each person look away and set down his glass. It is a serious and solemn ceremony, and as a rule on formal occasions, everyone spells everyone else around the table once. If there are, for example, ten people present and you are one of them, you will scald your nine companions once each individually, and you yourself will also receive nine separate skulls at different times during the meal, 
18 in all. That's how they work. It in polite society over there. At least they used to in the old days. And quite a business it was. By the time I was 10, I would be permitted to take part in these ceremonies. And I always finished up as tipsy as a lord.